Well, a role model is defined as a person regarded by others, especially uh, uh, young people, as a good example to follow. Now, I suppose that there are some good role models out there. In fact, I went to a site called Kid, kidsworld.com, which lists the top, the top ten celebrity role models for kids, uh, along with the reason that they're listed. Some of the top ten included the following. Jennifer Lawrence, who played Katniss in the first installment of The Hunger Games. Now, the reason she is listed is because she's not super skinny. She's happy with her weight and size. Kids World says, quote, that's a confidence worth looking up to. Now, I understand eating disorders, a little bit about that, and, but she made the list because she doesn't have an eating disorder. Interesting. Next on the list is Justin Bieber because he's surprised, quote, surprised adoring fans or sick children to give them a day to remember. I guess that's sweet. Next is 18-year-old actress Dakota Fanning. The reason she made the list is, despite the fact that she is a busy actress, quote, she graduated from her high school and is now studying at New York University. That's it. She graduated, like from high school. Next is Emma Watson of the Harry Potter series. She made the list because she cut her hair. I didn't make that up. She, quote, chopped off her locks. This brave and confident gal is definitely a role model. That was it. How about Jennifer Hudson of American Idol fame and the movie Dreamgirls? She made it because, quote, she became the spokesperson for Weight Watchers and transformed her body, empowering herself and girls everywhere to have the confidence to do the same. So, do I follow Jennifer or Katniss? I'm a little bit confused. One more. There were 10. I won't bore you with the rest. Ellen DeGeneres is listed because she supports over 30 charities. I think that's cool. But the site also says... She's an openly gay woman who wears her identity proud on kidsworld.com. No one made the list because they were openly heterosexual, by the way. So that's it. Those are the role models for our children. I suppose there are other role models on the celebrity and sports front. I don't know. People on my list would be people like Tim Tebow and, and Kirk Cameron. But for every one of them, there are dozens of Lance Armstrongs, Tiger Woods, Alex Rodriguez's, Lindsay Lowens, Kim Kardashian, and Miley Cyrus's. And so, is there a better place to find role models? Yeah. While the Bible is not intended to be a repository of role models, there are those whose lives we can emulate. In fact, we're supposed to. 
Paul, the Apostle Paul even said, follow me inasmuch as I follow Christ. And in our study of Philippians, he offers this morning two role models as people who live the way Paul has been calling us to live. Now, I put this outline of the book of Philippians on the screen just a few weeks ago. It was actually my outline. I made it up, uh, verified it with some other uh, commentators. They, uh, they got it right, too. Um, after his salutation and thanksgiving prayer, Paul told the Philippians about his circumstances in prison. We, we covered that. He then began addressing this issue of division that he'd heard about in, in Philippi. He, he started with that theme verse. We've been saying it over and over. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I remain absent, I hear some good things about you. He told them specifically what he, what he was calling them to he wanted to hear that they were standing firm together. Don't allow the pressures of persecution to divide you. Don't do anything from selfishness or, or vain conceit. Regard others as more important. Don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. And then he went on to give us that exalted example of Christ. There, now there's a role model for you. Not that we can in, in any way do the work of redemption, but we can humbly serve one another. That's what he's listed for. That's what Jesus did. He emptied himself and took on the form of a slave, and, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Last week, he said, so, so then, as a result of this great example of Christ, beloved brothers and sisters, continue to obey, not just when I'm present, but even when I'm not present, because listen, God is there. And he's at work in your lives, giving you both the will and the work to, well, work, to, to work out your salvation. So don't do anything with, with grumbling or, or bickering. I want, you to, I want you to hold out the truth of the gospel in the, in the crooked and perverse generation in, in which you find yourselves. For them, Philippi, for us, well, Boone. You see, when Jesus comes back, I want to know that the gospel has been effective in your lives. Now, according to my very fine outline, we move then to the next major point, which is are some, some travel plans. But, 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 but as I got to it, as I did the study, I realized that this passage that we get to this morning actually continues and completes the last point. You see, Paul offered the very high example of Christ in the midst of his commands. He reminded us that God is present. He's the ultimate authority to both enable us and hold us accountable to humility and unity. But if Jesus seems a bit out of reach, how about Timothy and Epaphroditus? You see, Paul offers two more role models and in the process suggests that they are also going to hold you accountable Philippi. Look at the text with me. Philippians 2 verses 19 and following say this. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. 
But, but, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is your messenger and, and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he, he came close to death for the work of Christ, r risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You see, it's actually wonderful to study God's Word in its context and to see it in its fullness. Did, did you see the, the words as we were reading through it, the description of these two guys and how they serve as worthy role models of how to live with others in mind? This is why, they're, yeah, he's given some travel plans, but he's, he's got a whole lot more in mind than that. These are two great examples of, of, of men who lived out what I'm calling you to do. In fact, those two men very simply form our outline. We're going to see the example of, of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus. Now, we know that Paul's in prison awaiting trial, which does seem to be right around the corner. He, he, can't, um, he can't come to Philippi. He's chained up to deal with the problem. So he does the next best thing. He sends his, he sends his lieutenant. Now, we know Timothy was with Paul because the first verse of the book said Paul and, and Timothy to the saints in Christ at Philippi. We, we found then that Timothy was a young man who had come to faith in Christ and joined Paul during Paul's second missionary journey. And he became an invaluable uh, traveling companion. Paul, in fact, reserves his highest and warmest praise for this young man. He sends him on some of his most urgent missions. He's trustworthy. He eventually writes Timothy two letters which bear his name in the New Testament. So Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, don't miss that phrase. It's not like we were just using Christianese here. All right, just throwing in. You know, every once in a while you, you talk to people who, who say something like, well, this is what I plan to do, Lord willing, and they drop Lord willing about every third sentence. But so does Paul. I, I, I hope uh, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Everything Paul did was under the sovereign lordship of Christ. Everything. This was Paul's plan, but he says, I submit it to Jesus. Any plans that we make come under his authority, his approval, and his direction. In fact, the plans that we come up with are probably his anyway, and we need him to carry them on to completion. Paul's hope, which we, we know when the word hope is used in the 
New Testament, it's more than just crossing your fingers. I, I, I hope I have confidence in the sovereign control of the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, why shortly? Why not now? Well, he tells us in verse 23, I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what's going on with me. It seems that Paul wants to keep Timothy for at least a couple of reasons that I could think of. Um, first, Timothy was, as I suggested earlier, his closest associate. My trial is right around the corner. I need Timothy for support. That's interesting. Even the Apostle Paul needed the relational and, and spiritual support of another close believer in his time of trial. So do we. Because no one is expected to go it alone. We need each other. Even Paul, like the Paul, needed Timothy. The second reason, not only that, the church had sent Epaphroditus, uh, yeah, with a gift, but also to check in on Paul. So Paul waits to send Timothy so he can give them a full report. As soon as I know how things turn out, you'll know. So he's sending Timothy to tell them about him, verse 19 says, but I'm, but I'm also sending Timothy so I can find out about you. I want to find out about your condition. You see, we're going to find that by the time that he sends Timothy, um, Epaphroditus will have already been there with this particular letter. He, he's going to send Timothy after Epaphroditus and after they've read Philippians. And he wants to find out how they're doing. Are, are, you, are you doing what I've told you to do? You see, Paul is saying, I am sending someone to hold you accountable. We talked about it last week. There is a place in the Christian life for correction. There is a place for accountability. It's right. It's good. It's even loving. Having given them this instruction, he follows up to make sure that they are indeed correcting this divisive behavior. It's not loving to allow people to go on in their sin. So he... But, but I want you to notice that as he sends Timothy, he says, I expect a good report. He has confidence in the Philippians. He expects them to obey and says as much. I'm sending Timothy so that I can be encouraged. The word is cheered. The only time she's in the New Testament. I, so I can be cheered when he comes back and reports and I learn of your condition. Another just, just another quick aside. When, we have, when you have to correct someone, especially a brother or sister in Christ. It's good to expect obedience and encourage verbally that expectation. In other words, instead of the typical, you never do anything right. Instead of the typical, you've disappointed me yet again. I've come to expect it. Instead of you are such a bother, it is better to say, you know, you need some work in this area, and I know by the power of the Holy Spirit living in, here, in you that you can make godly correction. In fact, I am expecting to see some good change in you. That's what Paul does. How much better that is than you're just such a loser. So he sends Timothy to hear a good report. But notice he sends Timothy because he's the best he's got. Look at verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, literally of equal soul. 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Very interesting wording. Paul had said back at the beginning of the chapter, don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Then he pauses to give us that high example of Christ. Now he cites this example of Timothy. I have no one else like him. It doesn't mean that Timothy's the only Christian on Paul's team, the only Christian in all of, of Rome who put others first. But when he thought of when he thought of someone who put others first, Timothy came to mind. He, he, was, he, was, he was Paul's right-hand man, and he was his great example, the great role model that, 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 that Paul called them and and us too. I have no one else like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all, he may be speaking of those that he mentioned in chapter 1, just preach Christ out of envy. He might be talking about the people in Philippi. Even the leadership who were doing things out of selfishness and vain conceit, grumbling and disputing. I have no one else like him. Might have just been a little dig. Certainly not you, who genuinely puts the needs of others first. So, obvious application. Who in your life comes to mind? Who do you think about when you, th- when you think about putting others first, we all have people we can call because we know that they genuinely care about others. Who comes to your mind? Who do you have? I have Doug Cheshire. No, I know all of you have Doug too. Here's a better question. Um, who would say that about you? Are you known as a person who genuinely cares about people? Are you known as a person who puts the needs of others first? When I ask that question, when I ask that question, who comes to your mind when you think of someone who puts others first? Did someone think about you? The congregational meeting that we had a few weeks ago, I talked about 13 ministries associated with this church who puts the needs of others first. I could add to that dozens of other ministries in our church as we serve one another, youth ministry, children. I mean, it would take me forever to list them, who put the needs of others first. Timothy is a role model. To whom are you serving as a role model in this way? Folks, you got to understand we live in a very self-centered society. In fact, it is encouraged. Look out for number one, and we all know who number one is. And we all know people in our lives who are just users. Don't be a user. You be, you be a giver. Paul commends Timothy because Timothy looked out for others. And it's very interesting to note the contrast that Paul draws here. 
Earlier he had said, don't look out for your own interests. I want you to look out for the interests of others. Then he cited Jesus as the example, looking out for the needs of others, namely yours and mine. Then he cites the example of Timothy. Then he says this, those who look out for their own interests, do you see what he says? Those who are looking out for their own interests are not looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he is saying? Not only does he call us to care for others, now he actually says if you only care for yourself, if you're a user, that's not Christ-like. To care like Jesus, to care like Timothy, to be like Jesus, and to care about what Jesus cares about is to put the needs of others first. If you're thinking only of you, you're not thinking about what Jesus thinks about. You say, well, wait, 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 who's going to care about, who's going to care about me? Well, Jesus and everybody else. Do you see how that works? Paul goes on to commend Timothy in, in verse 22. You Philippians know of his proven worth, that he's served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. We know Timothy was with Paul on that second missionary journey when Paul and Silas first went to Philippi, preached the gospel there, planted the church there. He was a firsthand witness both to the work of the gospel and the suffering of the gospel. You Philippians, you know him. He was there. He's proven his worth for the furtherance of the gospel. This is what excited Paul. And this is what made Timothy valuable to Paul because Paul was a man of the gospel. And so apparently was Timothy, which is why he could commend Timothy to them. He's actually, if you stop and think about it, he's actually giving Timothy a reference here. I got to thinking about that. One of the things that I have to do rather regularly is fill out references. There are times of the year I have several stacked up on my desk. They come in droves. Near the end of the school year, for example, as students are graduating, looking for higher education or jobs or going to summer camps or on, on mission trips, I am quite confident that Samaritan's Purse Human Resources has me on speed dial. <laughs> I get calls from them, at, now listen, to do references regularly, and I am, frankly, very delighted to do so. I, I love it. But we, we, we chat. But as I thought about that, not the individuals in particular, I thought about the questions asked on the forums. I mean, I asked about, I thought about what they say and what they don't say. I asked about the, question, the questions they ask and don't ask. And I, I got to thinking, I'm going to start thinking of references this way, just so you know, if you ask me to do a reference for you. Is he or she a person who puts the concerns of others first? Whether the forum asks me the question or not, I'm going to be asking that question. Is he or she a person who puts the needs of others first? Is he or she a person of the gospel, primarily concerned about advancing the gospel of Christ? How would your references answer those questions about you? Do they put others first? Do, are they all about Jesus? Um, Paul says further that Timothy was 
like a child serving with his father. Not going to go into that all over the place. Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. Therefore, verse 23, I hope to send him uh, to you immediately. This is how we know that Paul's trial was likely right around the corner. And we also know that Paul expected to be released as a result of the trial. Yes, it's possible that as an enemy of the state, espousing an illegal religion and saying, you know, Caesar's not God, that he could be in trouble. But back in chapter 1, Paul had said, while I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, I expect that I will remain because it's better for your sake that I do. Yeah, I, I want to go and be with, with Christ more than anything in the world. But since I'm not just looking out for my own interests, I'm looking out for yours, I'm sure I'll stay. So verse 24, I trust in the Lord. Again, we see Paul entrusting himself to the sovereign care of the Lord. I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly, assuming I haven't lost my head. I, 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 I care about you. I want to know how things are going with you, especially as it relates to this area of division. So I am going to come, Paul says, verse 24, I am coming to check on you myself. I am going to come and hold you accountable. That's not meant to be a threat. He expects they will obey and that he will by, now ha by then have received some encouraging news from Timothy. But make no mistake about it, he is adding some apostolic weight to this, to this letter. I'm coming. Obedience is important. Which brings us to the second role model, Epaphroditus. We're going to have to move very quickly, verses 25 to 30. Since I'm not sending Timothy right away, since I'm chained to these soldiers awaiting trial, I'm going to send Epaphroditus right now, who no doubt carried this particular letter to them. And in fact, uh, he probably carried the letters of Colossians and Philemon at the same time. Now, now remember, Epaphroditus had come from Philippi. He was a Philippian who had come from Philippi carrying a financial gift to Paul and also to check in to see how Paul was doing. But apparently, Paul and Epaphroditus shared a very special relationship because in verse 25, Paul gives him no less than five different titles. The first three have to do with his relationship with Paul. The, the, the next two have to do with his relationship with the Philippians. Look at him very, very, very quickly. First, Paul says, he's my brother. We all want to break out in song, but we won't. Actually, Paul uses the word my, uh, and, and the way that he uses is it applies to the first three titles. He's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and he's my fellow soldier. They shared a close relationship. He is my brother in Christ, not as opposed to them, but it's still this term of close endearment. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. It is, one way, it is one thing to look at someone and say, yeah, that, that person's a Christian. It's a different thing to look at someone and say, yeah, that person's a brother or a sister. But it is an altogether different thing to say, yeah, that person is my brother. That person is my sister. And that is what is expected in the body of Christ. Not that we are part of this ethereal uh, family of God but that we really belong to each other. You are my brothers and sisters, and I'm your brother, whether you like it or not. Next, he's my fellow um, worker. That is, that for Paul, that means one thing. He worked with me to advance 
the gospel, which is kind of interesting. This bringing the gift and checking in with Paul was part of advancing the gospel. You see, there's all kinds of work in, in doing the gospel besides sharing the four spiritual laws, although we must eventually get there. Third, he's my fellow soldier. I find that interesting. He's dictating this letter while he's, while he's um, chained to one or perhaps even two Roman soldiers. They would have perked up when they heard that. My fellow soldier, they would have been. Uh, and then he's also, he's also writing to a community of retired soldiers. They understood military jargon. But Paul is saying, I want you to understand that the work of Christ is warfare. And we are in this together. Fourth, he referred to the, this role model of Epaphroditus as your messenger. That's an interesting word. He actually uses the word apostle, not in the technical sense, but he came with a message from you to me. And last, he's a minister. He's, he's a servant that you sent to meet my needs. Once again, we see this idea of believers being concerned about the needs of others. That's, that's the word that he used. You sent him because you were thinking of my needs. It's kind of cool. So, having given Epaphroditus all these titles, Paul then says in verse 26, I'm sending him back to you now because he's longing for you. Interesting to do the reading. Uh, the, the, the people really want to take Epaphroditus to task like he was homesick, like he was a baby. or Well, whatever. He, just, he, he, he longed for them. Much like Paul did with the affection of Christ. And they had heard he was sick and he's concerned about that. Not having cell phones. Not having email. I, I, listen, I'm sending Epaphroditus back so you can know. I know you're concerned about it. You can know he's okay. Paul affirms that Epaphroditus had indeed fallen ill during this trip from Philippi to Rome. Per, perhaps the church was concerned that this sickness had prevented him from fulfilling his task, that they, the, the task that they sent him to do. Perhaps they were concerned about his current physical well-being. Either way, both are suggested. Paul writes to affirm that he well, had been sick, but he's better now, and he, and he had completed his mission. Now, I want you to look very closely at verse 27, because it contains some very important truths for us this morning. Yes. Epaphroditus had been very sick to the point of death. Does that phrase sound familiar? Paul used it in the Christ hymn back in verse 8. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Now he says Epaphroditus was obedient in the mission to the point of death. He almost died in the work of the gospel. You see, because Epaphroditus is being offered up as a role model, an example. An example of one willing to give up his life for the work of our Savior. He got very sick. Remember, at this time, sick to the point of death was very serious. Very little medical treatment at this time. Most of it was in error anyway. You didn't typically recover from a serious illness. But his being very sick did not deter him from his God-appointed task to the point of death, just like Jesus. What keeps you from doing the work of Christ? I don't feel like it. Man, I work 40 hours a week. I'm like really exhausted.
We see he became very sick and God had mercy on him. That is a very interesting statement to refer to his healing. You see, what we don't see here is we do not know if Paul exercised his gift of healing, which we know he had. We don't know if his healing was instantaneous or a process. We don't know if he suddenly jumped up from his deathbed or if he ate lots of chicken soup as he was nursed back to health. Here's the point. Human instrumentality was not the issue. The issue was and always is God had mercy on him. Whenever we are raised from sickness, through healing or medical procedure or simply a long road to recovery, the bottom line is God is the one who has mercy on us. There might be human, instrumental, human instrumentality, but ultimately God effects the healing. Now, strictly speaking, to be shown mercy is to be released from consequences. That is, God, when He shows you mercy, does not give you what you deserve. So some look at this and have suggested Paul is saying that Epaphroditus was sick because of some sin, but God had mercy. That is not the point here. He is highlighting the fact that any time you get better from cold or cancer, it's not, be, it's not because you deserve it, but because God has mercy. Which means when we are sick and we go to God as the last resort, He should be the first. Which means... We don't take medicine first. I'm not saying don't take medicine. I didn't say that. It does mean we don't take the medicine first. We don't go to the doctor first. We go to God first with the attitude, God, I know I don't deserve this, but will you show me mercy? Will you relieve me from the consequences of sin and rebellion, which is why we get sick anyway? It may not be a specific sin, but the reason we get sick and the reason that we die is because of, sick and re- because of sin and rebellion. Will you relieve me from the consequences of sin and rebellion and show mercy? And, and by the way, while I'm on this, if you have not had the opportunity to be cared for, cared for by one of our many medical professionals here at Alliance, I want you to know that is one of the things that I appreciate most. I have had that opportunity. And as they prepare to care, they pray first. Do you know what it's like to take your kid to Blue Ridge Pediatrics? This is an advertisement. To take your kids to Blue Ridge Pediatrics and know that the doctors that, you, that are caring for your kids are followers of Christ and are praying for your kids. Do you know what it's like to go and need a surgical procedure and walk into the surgery room and the nurses taking care of you are are, are people from our church and the the anesthesiologist who knocks you out goes to our church and the doctor who cuts you goes to our church and the lady who takes care of you or the guy who takes care of you after you get out goes to our church and everybody's praying for you? I like that. That's not an advertisement. Notice, God had mercy not only on Epaphroditus, but also on Paul. Look at verse 27 again. 
God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me. It was a, golly, I'm out of time, but this is so good. It was an act of mercy for Paul, who loved this man, and no doubt prayed for this man, but it was an act of mercy from God to Paul to heal this man so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul actually says there, if Epaphroditus died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Now, wait a minute. Paul, didn't you say in chapter 1 to die is gain? What do you mean you're praying for him to get better? Why didn't you pray for him to die? Didn't you say to depart, or that is to die? And be with Christ is very much better. What is this sorrow stuff? I thought Christians were supposed to have parties at funerals. Important truth. Yes, it is true to die is gain for the one who has died. It is true that he or she has gone to be with Christ, but death is still an enemy, the last enemy to be destroyed. And when a loved one, a friend or family member dies, it still brings great sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow. It is not like we are to paint on a happy face, oh well, to die is gain. We are comforted by that truth, but we are still separated. We still grieve, just not as others who have no hope. Sorrow is appropriate at the time of death. Sorrow mingled with great joy and hope. Should have said amen. I'm going to say sorrow mingled with joy and great hope. Amen. Amen. Sorrow upon sorrow, likely referring to his present circumstances, his imprisonment. Yeah, he found joy and contentment in his present circumstances, but it doesn't mean that he led the Roman soldier to whom he was chained around the room in a waltz. He was still imprisoned. It brought sorrow mingled with joy and hope. Remember the questions I asked a few weeks ago? Is it possible to have joy in the midst of suffering and even death? Yes. Verses 28 to 30, read them. I'm going to send him all the more quickly so that you don't experience sorrow. I want you guys to be okay. I want you to rejoice with his return. Then my concern for you, he's in prison. But my concern for you will be lessened because you know he's okay. Verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard. Why does Paul have to say this? Lots of speculation. Some have suggested that the church was irritated with Paul because of his sickness, or or irritated with Epaphroditus because of his sickness, his delay in returning. Maybe he didn't accomplish his mission. No, Paul says, receive him with the joy that I know that you're going to have when he returns, and you need to hold him in high regard. Because why? He's a role model. You need to respect this dude. Verse 30, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. That, that is a role model. Hold him in high regard because he's not too skinny. Because he lost a bunch of weight on Weight Watchers. Because he finished school at Philippi Philippi Junior High School. Because he got a haircut. No. Because he almost died doing the most important work in the world, the work of Christ. He risked his own life to complete what was deficient. All that means is you sent him, you couldn't be here, you sent him, and he did what you sent him to do. That's cool. It's appropriate to have role models, good ones. 
who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. I'm done with this. I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. Many of you have done that. Serving Christ well. Well in a lifetime of giving and sacrifice. I know that they would not want me to mention them, so I did not ask permission. But Jim and Martha folks are heroes of the faith to me. Jim went to the mission field with his first wife in Zambia where he spent 38 years as a surgeon missionary. And he buried his wife and young son there as they gave their lives for the work of Christ. Then God in his mercy gave Jim a single missionary nurse named Martha as a new wife to serve alongside him. These are people we should hold in highest regard. So here is the question for me and you as we close. Have you given your all, your life, for the work of Christ? Are you a role model to somebody? Are you a role model like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like Jim, like Martha? Let's stand for prayer.